All right. Here we go. You ready? Steve, you're amazing. Take a break. Take five. Wasn't worship so good tonight? Yeah, you can clap, shout, do a somersault if you'd like, whichever you'd like. Hey, so it is one year, and, um, and as I've, if you're new with us, we've been kind of like on a 20-month journey of uh, this series called Disciple, and I've taken a little hiatus from it. <laughs> You're like 20 months, you've only been going for 12. I know, I just, you know, I'm a preacher, so we just kind of stretch things sometimes. Uh, but but I, I've really sensed over the last few weeks, specifically, that the Lord uh, had a few words that he wanted me to share. Um, and so this week is also another endeavor into ensuring that I remain obedient to the Lord uh, and specifically share this message that I feel like he's put on my heart. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of, of Luke chapter 8? Luke chapter 8, Matthew, Mark, Luke. It is the third book in the New Testament. Luke chapter 8, Luke is, uh, is writing specifically to more of a Jewish community of people. Uh, he's very smart, very, very smart, so I feel smarter when I read the, the gospel of Luke. Uh, he was a doctor. Uh, he's also credited to writing most of Acts as well, which is really fascinating to me. I love the, the, the shift from Luke into Acts specifically, so if you ever wanted to do like a really, like, you know, study, deep dive study, you could read the book of Luke and then read Acts, and it would just kind of blow your mind because you'll see a lot of similarities in the writing. Anyway, I'm becoming a geek. I know. I'm sorry. I just want to give you some time to turn with me into in your Bibles, and if not, you can follow along on the screen. Luke chapter 8. Ready? Here's what it says in verse 26. They sailed to the region of Gerasenes, they being Jesus and the disciples, which is across the lake from Galilee. I want to pause there for a moment because what this means is they went from a predominantly Jewish community into a Gentile area. That was unheard of up until this point. So it's really important to understand what's happening here. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. Verse 27, when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. Verse 28, when he saw Jesus, somebody say, when he saw Jesus. He cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Verse 30, Jesus asked him, What is your name? To which he responded, Legion, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. I wanted to pause there yet again because I was curious. Predominantly a Jewish community would not have herds of pigs just running around. That was very uncommon, which is why it's important to note this was not a Jewish community. This was a Gentile community, and pigs were a way of them to make money, provide for their families. This was a, a, a job. They were not sheep herders. They were pig herders, which is why this story uses this language. Verse 33, when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw that what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. 
And the people went out to see what had happened. Watch this. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they were afraid. The Bible often talks about having fear in the Lord. This is the kind of fear that we have of the world. Fear in the Lord, and this is the kind of fear of the world that we most associate with. Verse 36, those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all of the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and he left. Verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home. Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. Tonight, I've uh, titled this message, Return Home. It's time for us to return home. And as we consider what it means to return home, let me ask you this question. What has God done for you? What has God done for you this past year? What has he done for you this past month? What has he done for you this past week? Heck, what has he done for you already here tonight? What has he done for you? Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that your word for us tonight would be a lamp unto our feet, and it would be a guide unto our path. Father, that it would nourish us, and it would strengthen us, that it would awaken us to the wonder of your son Jesus, and that it would help us to live according to your purpose and your will for our life today and every day going forward. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. So I want to uh, just pose some thoughts. As I was thinking about this man, I, I started to ask myself the question, what, what do we really know about this man? What do we know about this man? And I thought it important to, to get a better understanding of this man, to have another viewpoint into the story of this man. And so Mark offers another perspective on this story in his gospel. And it tells us of this man in Mark chapter 5, verse 2. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Verse 5, night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So you're thinking, man, this is a really encouraging story, Pastor. I'm really feeling like celebrating one year is like really at the top of my mind. It will if you just hang on with me for just a moment. What do we know about this man? Well, from both accounts, here's what we can discover and maybe begin to understand about this man. Very simply, it comes down to this. He was possessed by a demonic spirit that drove him to be socially isolated, forced him to live in tombs, essentially identified as uh, among the dead, emotionally and spiritually, and all of the above. It, it's to believe that the demons, a legion, which is essentially 6,000 demons, the, the word legion represents a Roman army at its fullest health, which would represent 6,000 Roman soldiers. That's the identity of a legion. So in other words, this demon is identifying itself as 6,000 potential demons possessing this man. 
this is extra credit. How many wrongs have we committed in the course of a lifetime? And is it possible that any one of those wrongs might have taken foothold in your life and began to manifest itself much like this demon has and has gotten a hold of you in such a way that has kept you isolated and away from humanity and from the body of Christ and from a community of people who want the very best for you, that want to help you to know Jesus and discover his purpose. And as a result, you found yourself much like this man, possessed by a season of life falling a little short and a little short and a little short where this demon has the power to control and lead you to self-destruction and even self-harm. It's also noted that it's the sole goal of a demon to destroy the person created in the image of God by any means necessary. In other words, every time we encourage you to look in front of the mirror and ask this, this question, do you love the person you see? And the answer is no. It's the demon reminding you of how unworthy of being loved you really are, how far off from being made in the image of God you actually are, how many mistakes you've made and how guilty you should feel for the mistakes you've made in your life. I, I don't want to get into this like super demonic conversation. I just want to help us to identify that some things in our life have the power to become strongholds that would begin to isolate us and separate us and keep us from fulfilling and walking in accordance with God's will and purpose for our life. And I want to help you tonight overcome some demonic spirits that have been keeping you hostage for far too long so that maybe tonight and maybe this year you break free from all of the sick and all of the pain and all of the trauma that you've experienced in your life and you no longer settle for self-harm and self-deprecation, but you actually begin to walk in the purpose and plan that God has for your life because you were created in his image as sons and daughters of God in whom he is well pleased without any wrong committed. He loved you that much. Lastly, he was totally possessed that though the demons recognized Jesus as the son of the most high God, the man could not free himself from the power of the demonic spirit. That's what we know about this man. And I wondered as we look at this man's story and put it in today's context, we might be able to ask some questions that maybe some of us might be able to answer yes to. How many of us have ever struggled with depression? How many of us have ever struggled with anxiety? How many of us have been afraid or been in fear and trembling at any point in our life? How many of us have ever dealt with insecurity? How many of us have struggled or dealt with any kind of addiction? Drug, alcohol, porn, it doesn't matter. They're all considered addiction. How many of us have struggled or are dealing with a moral failure? And as a result, if any of those are true, have had the power to drive us to live in isolation. Has caused us to be completely cut off or to live in fear of people, community, and family. There's this, new, uh, there's this new isolation buzz term now called social isolation where we are more connected than we've ever been. We have access to relationships more than we've ever had, and yet we're completely isolated sitting in, in the midst of a crowd of people with no real friendship, with no real community, with no real sense of purpose, and we're just being reminded every day of how insignificant we are and small we are because this social access has caused us to feel insignificant and small and unworthy of actually being of purpose or use for anything other than sitting in my isolation. 
How, how many of us have, have tried, if in fact the, it's true that we've dealt with depression, anxiety, fear, insecurity, addiction, or moral failure, have felt a little isolated or cut off from those who, who really genuinely love us, people, community, community, family? How many of us have ever tried to overcome the enemy on our own strength? How many have thought, oh, I know how to fix this? Or how many have thought that a vice would be the thing that would numb the pain long enough that it might just go away? Or how many of us, if we just pretend like it didn't happen, you know, it was, just a, it was just a one-time thing, hoping that it would just go away and we'll just, you know, sweep it under the proverbial rug, know that eventually if you pull that rug up to do some spring cleaning, man, oh, man. How many of us have ever tried to do things on our own strength, yet finding ourselves fa- failing and in most cases hurting even more? which then leads to just deeper isolation. It leads to deeper fear. It leads to deeper anxiety or deeper depression. It is my belief that if this is true of this man, that even by his best efforts couldn't overcome the grip and torment of the enemy, how is it that we might think we could? I'm not here to call out any of that in your own life. I, I'm just here to present to you some truth that I hope will lead to some healing, which will then set you on a collision course for God's purpose for your life. And I want to I I invite you into this thought because what happens next in this story is the most important part of this story. Despite all of my best efforts in trying to overcome anxiety on my own, despite even some, of the, some help from, from my doctor, who I trust immensely, and I believe that she went to school to be able to help me the b- way that God designed her to use her gifts to help me, even despite all of the help of my family and my friends, you see, there was really only one common denominator in the story of my life, and it wasn't just the fact that my family and my friends prayed for me and wanted the best for me. That was important, but that was not the answer, and it wasn't that I tried to figure out how to overcome all of these shortcomings and these problems and this fear and this anxiety and this depression on my own. It wasn't at the expense of my own strength. It simply came down to the same thing that happened for this man in verse 28 and it simply says this when he saw Jesus he cried out and he fell at his feet shouting at the top of his voice what do you want with me Jesus son of the most high God I beg you don't torture me for Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man and verse 33 says when the demons came out of the man they went into the pigs and the herd of pigs rushed down the steep bank into the lake and they were drowned But yet when those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and they reported this in the town and countryside. What they didn't know at the time is that they just encountered a miracle. They were just witness to a miracle. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out. Doing what? Sitting at Jesus' feet. Dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen and told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. You see, the word cure is important in this story because the word cured is derived from the same Greek word as sozo, which is translated to mean saved, delivered, 
made whole. So in other words, those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been saved, how the demon-possessed man had been delivered, how the demon-possessed man had been made whole. He is not only delivered from the demon and not only cured of the terrible burden, but had been altogether healed and made whole as evidenced by the man who was once demon-possessed and mad, now sitting at the feet of Jesus, dressed and of sound mind. How do you explain it? Nothing short of a miracle. One minute, they know this man to be demon-possessed, running around naked and just crazy. Next minute, they see a bunch of pigs that they were tending to, all of a sudden just going, running off the side of the cliff, and boom, and here you see this man just chilling. Dressed, sound mind, at the feet of Jesus. How do you explain it? Well, see, when the demon saw Jesus, it feared him. And as a result, Jesus saved him. He saved the man. He rescued him. He rescued this man from further destruction, from further self-harm, from further self-deprecation. And he brought him, listen to this, into divine safety. He brought him into the family of God. He brought him home. Why don't you stand with me tonight? You see, the, the thing that I love about this story is that, is that we think about returning home as if we are meant to, to just go back to our homes and, and open our garage doors and, and, and drive into the garage and then close the garage door behind us and walk in through our private entrance into our homes and go sit around the table with maybe just my wife and my kids and kind of set, share with them a little bit about what happened and, and, then, and then go to bed and then wake up in the morning and, and get in my car through my private entrance into my home and get in my car and drive out and close my garage door and drive to work and park in the same spot that I always park in because I know I'm not going to encounter anybody or talk to anybody. It'll give me the best chance to avoid human contact and I'm just going to take my private elevator up to my private office and sit in my private office all day long and have lunch by myself. Meanwhile, there's all these beautiful people that God's placed on your path that he wants you to see and to share your good news with, but yet you're so so lost in this idea that God created us to live in isolation from everybody even though we have something good to share, but yet here's the deal, that the reality of turning home isn't about getting to home tonight and living private, quiet lives. The idea of returning home is to get into public spaces and places where we can share the good news because Jesus invited us into divine safety. He invited us into a home where there's a sense of purpose and belonging and he desires for us to not hold on to it but to be like a champagne bottle that shakes so much that you can't even control the cork and when that cork finally spews off what happens? Everybody's getting a glass and how good is that champagne? Because he made it. He created it. He established it and he desires that we all taste and see how good the Lord is. Whether it's champagne or it's Gatorade, it doesn't matter. It just matters that it tastes good because of what he's done in and through our life. So returning home isn't going home and living private lives. Returning home is going into the street and going into work and going into school and sharing. I've been saved. I've been delivered. I've been rescued. I've been made whole. My life is only a testament of Jesus because he showed up at the right time and the possessed demon on the inside of me, the insecurity, the fear, the anxiety, the doubt that had a hold of me to the point where I didn't think I mattered anymore, came face to face with Jesus.
And I just want to pause for a moment before we go any further because I believe there's some people here tonight who are being saved in this very moment. I believe there's some people here tonight that are being delivered right here in this very moment. I believe that tonight people are being rescued from, from the grip of depression and from the grip of sickness and disease that has kept you hostage, running around like a madman for your entire life. And it's by the presence of Jesus here tonight that you, that demon, that demonic spirit, that fear, that insecurity, that doubt, that uncertainty is coming face to face, not with me, not with Steve. Not with anyone else, but the very living presence of Jesus here tonight. Come on, everyone close your eyes. If that's you tonight, you're being redeemed. You're being healed. You're being saved. You're being rescued tonight. Tonight you're being made whole. Would you just lift your hands to heaven right now where you are? Come on, if that's you. Come on, right now where you are. Come on, every eye closed. Come on, just honor this moment. You may not understand it. You may be a little uncomfortable in it. That's fine. Just respect it. And just allow this moment for those who are here tonight, that their shame, their fear, their anxiety, their depression are coming face to face with Jesus. Father, I pray for every one of us, courageous and bold enough to raise our hands to heaven, Father, that that would in fact be the case, that every demonic spirit, every fear, every anxiety, every spirit of depression, every, every, everything that would hinder us or keep us from living the full, whole life that you offer us through your Son would come face to face with your Son, Jesus. Right now, in Jesus' name. 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 I pray for... I pray liberation. I pray freedom. I pray chains are being broken, and I pray that they are being made new right now in Jesus' name. I, I thank, for, thank you for every mad thought to be made sane in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for every person who feels unworthy of being loved the way that you call us to be loved, would sense a love like never before right now in Jesus' name. I, I pray that anyone who doesn't feel worthy of being rescued would sense a life raft coming over them right now in Jesus' name. And it would be none other than the hand of the Father extended through his son Jesus, just simply saying, there you are, son. There you are, daughter. I love you just the way you are. I created you for a purpose. I have a destiny and a purpose for your life that does not stop here, that is not left in a tomb, that is not crippled by depression or fear or anxiety, but it is set free by the Son in whom I've sent to seek and save the lost. So tonight, Father, I pray that every spirit of depression, every spirit of anxiety would come face to face with Jesus. Satan, we demand you to leave. We demand you to leave in Jesus' name. We demand you to leave by the power of Jesus to set people free in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let every chain be broken. Let every lock be picked. Let every shackle be busted. Let every wall, let every barrier, let every tomb that has kept your people in isolation away from the love of the Father and away from a community that can continue to help them walk closer with you. Father, let it be broken in Jesus' name. By the name of Jesus. Come on, if that's you, say, tonight I am made whole in Jesus. Tonight, Satan, 
It is finished. I am no longer a prisoner. I am no longer held hostage. I am no longer mad. I am no longer in fear. I am no longer anxious. I am no longer depressed. I am no longer suicidal. I am a son. I am a daughter in whom you are well pleased. And tonight, Satan, I tell you how big my father is. And he has set me free by the name of Jesus. If that's you, just stay there. For the rest of us, listen up. What has God done for you this past year? What has he done for you this past month? What has he done for you this past week? What has he done for you right here in this moment? You see, I, I, I believe this with all my heart. To be able to answer this question is mission critical. It is mission critical. It doesn't matter how massive, elaborate, or extravagant it is, or how small or minor in your eyes it might be. It all matters to God. It might be a, it might be a demon being released from your thoughts in your mind, and it might just be that you got to church today. It might be that you just got the job offer that you've been praying for. It might just be that you've reconciled a relationship with somebody that you needed to reconcile. It doesn't matter how big it is. It just be, it might be that you made a new friend here tonight. It doesn't matter. What has God done for you this past year, this past month, this past week. It is mission critical because your answer is your story and your story is good news. And if it's centered around what Jesus has done for you, friends, let me encourage you. It is in fact good news. And it is so important to the kingdom of God, no matter how big or small, it matters because while this man may not have known Jesus, it was the presence of Jesus, it was made available to him that cast the demon out and it set him free forevermore. Here's what I know, that when we come to know Jesus, we become like carriers. We become, we become carriers of his presence. We become like bearers of his light. Here's what I know, that when we start sharing the good news of Jesus, his light has the power to begin to freak people out. Not in a weird way. Like, don't pull up, you know, at the produce aisle and start getting your flashlight out and going, I got the light of Christ in me. That's weird. Don't do that. Please don't do that. And if you do, tell them you're from the Baptist church down the street. I'm just I, Sorry. We're all sons and daughters of God. What I'm saying is when you start telling people what he's done for you, how he's helped you, how he's healed you, how he's redeemed you, how he's restored you, you begin to share a light that has the power, the Bible says, to invade dark places. As a matter of fact, he says it in John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has no way to overcome it. That's it. So when we start sharing our good news, your story is light. And your light, the Bible says, is the light of the world. It is a town built on a hill, and it cannot be hidden. Church, together, when we put all of our stories together, we become a lighthouse on a hill where our story has the power to set people free. Not because of anything we did, but because of what Jesus has done for us and is doing through us. And this is exactly why this last verse is so important. Just hang here. If you're being, if you're just having an encounter with Jesus, just stay there in your own place. Don't worry about anything else I'm saying. Just, you stop there. For the rest of us, this next verse is so important. It's so important for the story and for the good news of our life. It's so important because it's a call to action. It's so important because it reminds us of the mission that's before us in this next year and the year after that. 
And as you can imagine in verse 38, this man from whom the demons had gone out begged Jesus to go with him. He said, no, no, I don't want to go with you. I don't want to stay with these people. These people are crazy. I don't want to go back to work. Those people are going to talk about me all the time. They're going to be like, that's the demon-possessed dude. Now he's, he's, he was weird. Now he's weirder. No, no, no. Jesus is like, hey, here's the deal. Here's the deal. The guy begs him, can I go with you? And Jesus says, no, no, go back. Verse 39, it's time for you to return home. It's time for you to tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and he told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. He went home proclaiming throughout his city, throughout his neighborhood, throughout his workplace, his school place, through every place that he had set his foot, how much Jesus had done for him. He has not only become a follower of Jesus, watch this now, but he's become a proclaimer of Jesus. You see, we can all be followers of Jesus, and, and there's something beautiful about that, but there's a moment and a time like this here tonight as we celebrate one year together that once upon a time you walked in sick and hurt and broken, and over the past year, God has been revealing his goodness and his faithfulness to you. He's been healing you and setting you free. You are no longer sick anymore, and it doesn't mean that you're completely healed. I'm still not completely healed, but I have some good news to share, and so it's important that I don't just follow Jesus and want to get on the boat and go back with him, that I be intentional about going home to where he's called me to go and begin to proclaim all the good news that he's done for me. What has he done for you? I made a friend. Tell somebody about it. Where? At Purpose Church. It's amazing. We had this discipleship group. We hung out. I went to Alpha. I made some friends. Shai could tell you that. Or you could go tell somebody, man, I was demon-possessed by all of my afflictions, by all of my transgressions and all of my trespasses. And tonight... I met Jesus, big or small, not just to be a followers of Jesus, but to be proclaimers of Jesus. And what's so beautiful about this text, we're going to close with this, that it's a parallel to the Great Commission. And in verse 39 in this story, it is a shorter but an equally urgent commission, given not, given not only to the healed man in this story, but given to us here tonight. Return home. Go to your cities, go to your neighborhoods, go to your schools, go to your workplaces and declare, proclaim, share just how much God has done for you in this past year, in this past month, in this past week, in this moment here tonight. Purpose Church, it's time for us to return home and to tell somebody about what God has done for us here tonight and in this past year so that next year when we celebrate, we can share this same story and this same message with a whole nother group of people because we've seen your good news begin to multiply into the earth and be fruitful and expand the kingdom of God so that we might see more people know Jesus and discover his purpose. More people set free, more people healed, more people restored, more people in love with the purpose and the plan of God, more people seeing themselves in the image of God as a son and daughter in whom he's well pleased. Church, it's time for us to return home and tell somebody tell somebody just how good our God is. Come on, let me close us in prayer. And we're going to finish with a song of celebration. And then we're going to go have some buntinis and call that communion. Father, we just thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing, and all that you've yet to do. 
We thank you that here tonight we're, we're able to pause and, and really reflect on what it is that you've done for us this past year in this season. Father, I pray that you would make it clear for each of us and that we wouldn't underestimate or undervalue what it is you've done for us, whether it be big or small. It all matters to your community and to your people and to seeing your will be done. And Father, I pray that as you reveal that to us, you would give us the courage to leave here tonight, to return home, to return to the places and spaces you've called us to go, and to begin to share and proclaim the good news, the things you've done for us, the way you've healed us, you've restored us, the way you've made it, helped us make a friend or invited us into a place where we could belong and find family and find a sense of identity. Whatever it might be, Father, I pray that we would leave here not the same way we came in, but we'd leave here with good news on our tongue and a courage to share it with anybody who will listen so that we might see your kingdom come and you will be done. So we might see many more people come to know you, Jesus. And that we might see more people discover your purpose for their life so that we might continue to get, get on about serving the community the way you've called and set us out to do. Essentially, it comes down to this, Father, so that we would be known not just as disciple makers, but disciples who are committed to making disciples. Father, send us home with good news to tell and give us the courage to tell somebody. And for all of us who have come face to face with Jesus, Father, I pray that we would not leave here the same way we came in. We'd leave here like that man did, set free, clothed, and in his right mind. Leaving here skipping, proclaiming the good news, the good works of our God, who is mighty to save, who loves us that much and desires for us to be free. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.